Hey listeners, welcome back to Shades of Crime. Way back in the third episode of Shades of Crime, I told you about the murder of Brenda Way. During this episode, I gave you a bit of information on the sex industry in Halifax, Nova Scotia in the 1980s and 90s. These details I provided you gave you a bit of an idea of how sex workers became the targets of both authorities and killers, and how this created an atmosphere that has allowed for numerous unsolved murder cases in the port-oriented province. Movement of men in and out of Halifax piers made many opportunities for female sex workers, making this province a known hotbed for sex workers. But this movement of people allowed for someone to commit a crime against a sex worker with a reduced likelihood that they would ever be caught for these actions. While these issues were ongoing in Halifax's history, the issue increased exponentially when, following the closure of a sex ring in Toronto that had six Halifax women being trafficked along with six Halifax pimps, caused Halifax to have national notoriety as a sex work hotspot. And subsequently, the Prostitution Task Force was formed in 1992 to crack down on sex workers in the city. The alienation and targeting of women in the sex industry forced them into the shadows, allowing for crimes against these women to become completely ignored in a society with a newfound hatred of these women. This shift in atmosphere showed an increase in violent crimes against sex workers, and one such event is the murder of Kimber Leanne Lucas a 24-year-old sex worker who was murdered back in 1994. Get ready, because things are about to get shady. Kimber Lucas was born in 1966 and grew up in Halifax, Nova Scotia with a loving and close family. Kimber finished public school with astounding grades, and she loved to play organized sports during her time in school. Unfortunately, the 80s and 90s were a time that saw a huge spike in the usage of crack and cocaine, and addiction to these drugs was extremely common in Nova Scotia. This prevalence took a toll on Kimber, and she began using crack, and her life as she once knew it took a sharp turn. Originally, Kimber planned on becoming a fashion model. She was often told how beautiful she was and how she belonged in modeling, and she took this to heart. But once Kimber was hooked on crack, she needed a more immediate way of making money to feed her addiction. So she ended up turning to sex work, which her beauty made a very lucrative way to make money. These changes in her life led her to fall into trouble with a few people. She had some owed drug money, and her debts were building up. Even with her popularity, she wasn't able to keep up with her addiction. This problem was only worsened when Kimber found herself pregnant in May of 1994. Once Kimber found out that she was pregnant, she started to try and work through her addiction and get herself off of the streets for her child. 
This was a constant battle for seven months of her pregnancy, but finally in November she had plans to officially get off the streets. She just needed to gather the proper funds to do so. Throughout Kimber's career as a sex worker, she spent her time around the Maitland Street Stroll, or the Halifax Stroll. The Halifax Stroll was essentially a more frequently used version of the Dartmouth Stroll, where people would go to pick up sex workers. This stroll ran mostly between Maitland and North Streets. During her attempts to make it off of this street, Kimber spent long hours along the Halifax Stroll to earn enough money to make her way off of the streets once and for all. Around November 16th, Kimber's aunt Tooney Flint was walking in downtown Halifax when a group of men in a cab yelled out to her. When the group realized that this woman wasn't Kimber, they explained that they weren't looking for Tooney. They were looking for Kimber, and they said that when they found her, they were going to do her good. One of the men in the cab was holding a gun. The men were supposedly owed money by Kimber, and while this concerned Tooney, she wasn't entirely surprised since she was very familiar with the situation Kimber was currently in. On November 22nd, Kimber headed out in the evening to the Halifax Stroll. She was seen walking between North and Maitland Street between 1.30 and 3.30 a.m. of November 23rd. From here, the events of Kimber's evening are very uncertain, but it is assumed that she met a few Johns that night as she was working the stroll. Around 8.45 a.m., the Halifax Regional Police received a phone call from someone reporting a potential dead person at 5783 North Street, which is right between Roby and Agricola Streets. When police arrived, they found Kimber in the alley behind this building by a dumpster laying in a pool of her own blood. She had been brutally stabbed and mutilated. Her body was taken to the medical examiner's office where, unsurprisingly, they named her death a homicide. At that time, the medical examiner also determined that she was seven months pregnant at the time she was murdered. Police did some digging into what may have happened. They questioned Tooney, and immediately their investigation focused on this being a drug-related hit. The Halifax police put out a statement that they needed someone to come forward with information on the murder of Kimber, but they knew that it was highly unlikely that anyone would come forward, especially since most of the people associated with Kimber were involved in illicit activities. Additionally, with the introduction of the Prostitution Task Force, sex workers in the Halifax Regional Municipality had significant concerns with coming forward to officers in any way, because they could easily be arrested for working the streets. This made an understandable rift in the investigation. From here, whether or not this investigation was taken seriously, which popular opinion is that it wasn't, the investigation stalled and lost any leads. It also failed to bring up any persons of interest or suspects, and no items were even around to be analyzed as far as we know. This failure to make any breaks was a reoccurring theme in crimes against women in the sex industry at this time. I read a report on the treatment and public perception of sex workers in the early 90s. This paper was also from the 90s, so the term prostitute was the one used throughout the paper. This paper outlines a timeline of events that heavily influenced sex workers in Halifax, both directly and indirectly. I'm going to give you a bit of a timeline of this just to emphasize the problems that plagued the sex industry at this time and how the lines between the sex industry and sex trafficking were blurred by media reports and perception. 
As I mentioned before, in 1992, the Toronto police busted a sex trafficking ring in Toronto, which comprised of six trafficked women and six pimps from Halifax. This made national perceptions of Halifax change, but even before this, a concern about the sex industry was rapidly growing in Nova Scotia due to skewed reports stating that black men were pimping out white women, leading them into a coerced position in the sex trade. Of course, this view was heavily one-sided, but it successfully played upon the public's racist ideologies to create a distaste for anyone in the sex industry. This somehow meant that members of this industry were despised by the public, and they wanted to ignore what they viewed to be a terrible part of their city. In the summer of 1989, Kimberly McAndrew went missing after getting off from her summer job at the Canadian Tire in Halifax. It is strongly believed that she was abducted into sex trafficking, and she was the daughter of an RCMP officer, so this showed that this sex trafficking problem was something that no one was immune to. Something that greatly influenced how the public felt on the matter. On January 1st of 1992, Andrea King arrived at the Halifax Stanfield International Airport on a trip to go view universities. She vanished on that day and was never seen again. It's believed she was picked up there and brought into sex trafficking. In May of 1992, Barbara Louise Penny was found shot to death in her Dartmouth apartment. She was a sex worker. On July 6th of 1992, Valerie Dawn Allen disappeared in Halifax, and it was believed she was taken into sex trafficking. This was confirmed when she was located alive in New York in October of 1992. In September of 1992, Nicole Jessam from Halifax was located when the Toronto police busted another sex ring in Toronto. She told them about the violence and coercion involved in her abduction. In December of 1992, Anne Mason, a sex worker, was brutally and violently sexually assaulted outside of her sister's Dartmouth apartment. She was taken to the hospital where she later died of her injuries. On January 5th of 1993, the Prostitution Task Force made its first arrest of a sex worker. On January 20th of 1993, the federal government allocated $20 million to the Prostitution Task Force. On February 16th of 1993, Kelly Lynn Wilneff was found beaten, shot, and dumped in Preston outside of a high school. She was a part-time sex worker. Back in 1989, a shelter for sex workers in need called The Stepping Stone was opened to provide them with support. Following all of these events, the shelter lost its funding, and in March of 1993, it was announced that it was closing. In September of 1993, Giselle Peltman was found beaten to death on a Dartmouth golf course. She was a sex worker in the area. On September 30th, following this attack, the Stepping Stone was forced to formally close its doors to the public. On April 1st of 1994, the provincial government allocated $30,000 to the Stepping Stone shelter. This allowed it to reopen on April 16th. This funding was only 0.15% of the funding that went towards the task force against sex workers in Halifax. And in November of 1994, Kimper was murdered in Dartmouth. 
With this collection of events, the public perceives sex workers as a danger to society, and with the criminalization of their line of work, there was little hope of Kimber ever receiving the justice which she truly deserved. But, by a stroke of pure luck, and with no association to Kimber's murder, a potential suspect arose. On January 27th, Jessica Lloyd went missing from Highway 37 near her home in Tweed, Ontario. Based on evidence left at Jessica's home, investigators set up a random traffic stop. Investigators looking into the case organized a random check of people passing through Tweed, and one of the people randomly pulled over gave them exactly what they needed. When they pulled over this man, the first thing that they noticed was that the tire tracks left by his vehicle matched those left behind on Jessica's property. They began to speak with him and questioning him about the night, but after that they just let him go, and he didn't realize that they were actually going to be watching him from then on. Soon they ended up bringing him in, and one thing that they noticed when they did so was that his boot prints matched those left at the scene as well. So this guy seemed like a prime suspect right away. This man was Colonel Russell Williams, a decorated Air Force pilot of 24 years held in high esteem within the Canadian Armed Forces. During his time in the Air Force, Williams was stationed in a Nova Scotian base between 1992 and 1994. During this time, there were three women who had been found murdered without any obvious link to anyone around, but they all resembled the modus operandi of Russell Williams. Unsolved murders and sexual assaults seemed to follow Williams everywhere he went, and due to this, he was much more closely analyzed. While Kimber's murderer has never been formally charged, the two most popular beliefs are that she was murdered due to drug-related debts she couldn't pay, or that on that November night, she had come into contact with Williams and he is the one responsible for her tragic death. The main reason people believe that Williams may be responsible is that her death very closely resembled the deaths of the two women which he was formally charged with murdering. As of today, Kimber's case remains unsolved, and it isn't looking like that will change anytime soon, seeing as all of this came out about Williams back in 2009. Whether this was a drug-related attack or done by the hand of Williams, Kimber deserves justice, as do the other women who hold potential links to Russell Williams. Next week, I'll tell you about the women affected by Williams and how he could be responsible for up to 8 deaths across Canada and around 43 sexual assaults, starting in the 1980s. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Shades of Crime. Our theme music is by Shuli Musso. This episode was written and researched by me. The sources for this episode and all of our other episodes can be found on our blog, www.shadesofcrime.ca. Shades of Crime can be found on almost any platform where you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at Shades of Crime Podcast. If you like what you hear, could you please rate and review Shades of Crime on Apple Podcasts? It's a fantastic way to get the word out about this show. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or if you would like to request a case, email us at shadesofcrime at gmail.com. That's all for this week, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.